The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, if you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, and chapter 13 is where we're going to be. And, and while you're turning there, I want to turn back in history to the year 1563, as the Reformation was maturing in Germany, that year, one of the most important and influential documents of the Reformed faith was published in Heidelberg, Germany. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. And these were decades of political upheaval. There was persecution. There were plagues that were killing many. There were some who feared. There were some who wanted to flee there was some who wanted to fight. The future was uncertain to many. And in that context, this is how that catechism begins. Question number one, what is your only comfort in life and death? And in some churches, they will, they will say a question from this statement. Um, and so I want to actually ask you to read out loud together with me the answer for our only comfort in life and death. I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. That is a great statement, and that's a great setup for what we're going to see today. And we've been learning about redemption, which means we are bought with a price that we are not our own. All that we are and all that we have belongs to the Lord, and it's His precious blood that pays the penalty of our sin and and takes away the power of our sin. But we still deal with the presence of sin in this life. But our hope and comfort is this, that our Savior is a sovereign sustainer, that He preserves and He provides, and He guides all things for His glory and for our good. This is our blessed assurance. This is what makes us glory in our Redeemer who cares and carries us in everything. And this is what Israel would need and what they faced And it's what we will need in whatever we'll face. So look with me at Exodus chapter 13. And we'll pick up where we left off last time in verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. I like the New American Standard wording. God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, 
that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihiaroth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants were changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and he overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near... The people of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. That's where we'll stop for today, but there is so much in those verses that we have read. This is a story for God's people today. This is not just history. Paul says in the New Testament, what was written in the Old Testament in former times was written for our instruction so that through the encouragement and the endurance through the scriptures, we might have hope. He says that in 1 Corinthians or Romans 15, verse for this is for our hope that we would see what was written before, that we should be able to endure with, with hope. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, more specifically, the Israelites were under the cloud, all of them, and they all passed through the sea. And he says right after that, these things took place as examples for us. They were written down for our instruction. And so this true story, this true history, this is for our instruction, this is for us, this is for our endurance, this is for our encouragement, this is so that we would have hope through the difficulties that we are either facing now or in the future, and this is for all God's people, and the key statement for all God's people is verse 13, fear not, stand firm, and see, and so this is my outline, I was wrestling with an outline for a while, and then I just looked at verse 13, and and I realized I, I have it right there. Fear not. Stand firm in God. Look to your salvation. Fear not, and the context is they're, they're looking, and they're fearing. They, they see the enemy. They, they look back, and now they want to turn back. But he says, stand firm in God. 
As they're looking at the world around them, it's hard for them to, to stand firm in, in difficulty and in discouragement. But he says, stand firm and then look to your salvation. See who God is and what he's done for his glory and for our victory. And you probably noticed as I read it in verses 11 through 12, they're saying pretty hurtful things towards Moses. But Moses sees that there's fear behind what they're saying. I would have probably taken it personally or maybe responded defensively or sarcastically like they did. That's a temptation when someone speaks that way to you, but Moses responds graciously. And by the help of the Spirit of God, he sees the issue here is that they're actually in fear. That's why they're responding that way. So he starts with fear not in verse 13. But how? How are we not to fear? Well, he's going to give us some helps in this. And and the first one is we need to trust God's guidance. We need to trust God's guidance. In chapter 13, Moses knew what the Israelites didn't yet know, that God knew what he was doing. So this is what Moses wrote, chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, although that was near. God's ways are not man's ways. And God's way is often not the shortest or the easiest route from our perspective. By design, God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. He knew they weren't ready yet for the war they would face later. They weren't strong enough yet. So God is leading them. Verse 18, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So he has them marching towards the Red Sea, and they're going to encamp there on the shore of the Red Sea where there's nowhere to go. In fact, it looked to Pharaoh like they're wandering. They're lost on their trip. They're shut in by the sea. My parents are in the Philippines right now. I got a message from my dad. He's had a blessed weekend speaking to some of the churches there. I got to see some pictures of people I knew from many years ago, even growing up, that are there for the reunion and in our, our mission But one of the things we would do as missionaries is when we would come to the States, we would travel across country. And I remember many, we would go to supporting churches and family. This was every fourth or fifth year or so. And I remember visiting and going across the country on these trips. And there were often times where I couldn't see where we were going, and I wondered if we were lost. And these were the old days without GPS in fact, I can still picture my parents folding out those maps and, and trying to figure out where they were, which I think might even be more dangerous when the map covers your, your dashboard than a, a little phone. But we rode all summer without cell phones. We had no video games. We had no DVD player. We didn't even have AC in our car. So children, you can survive without those things. But, but those days, what we had was a window. And so we would look out the window. We had to be creative, make games. But my parents would often tell us to look out and see what there was outside. And I remember seeing a tornado one time that was off in the distance, and it seemed to keep getting closer. I remember seeing one time we were on a cliff, and I was a little nervous as we were doing a five-point turn and getting close to the, to the cliff. I remember breaking down in the desert. I remember all kinds of things. My older sister and I would sing at at churches as we would go around the country this song. My mommy and daddy are missionaries. They took us to places kind of strange and scary. Daddy said it was all necessary. 
We drove a million miles in our big blue van from the great wide north to the southern land. And then the chorus goes like this. I'm an MK. That means a missionary kid. I wouldn't trade it through everything that came. We always made it. And that was true. And it was also true what my dad would sing in, in churches that a part, one of the biggest parts of being a missionary is not just cruising down a river in a dugout log or being a guest of honor where they're serving dog or sometimes we wondered if that's what we were being served or cutting up a python with a, a pocket knife. That's not the biggest part of a missionary's life. Sometimes, as he's saying in that song, it can be raising your kids from the front seat of your car while you're driving down the road trying to figure out where you are. And, and that was our experience. But I can look back and say I wouldn't trade any of those experiences. I can look back now and I, I can see my dad did know more than me and what I could see from the back seat. And he did know where he was going and what he was doing most of the time. <laughs> and I also learned my mom had eyes in the back of her head and she could see more than I realized what was going on in, in our sin in the back seat and myself in particular. But as I got older, I, also my parents got wiser in, in my estimation. It's, it's one of those things like after my teenage years, I could actually see it. Well, here the children of Israel couldn't yet see it. They couldn't yet see from where they were from their vantage point. They, they only see what's strange and scary, and, and they think Moses has lost it, and they think their lives are going to be lost in the process, and, and it's going to seem like a million miles by the time they're done with all these wilderness wanderings, but God wants them to look up. God wants them to look out. God wants them to see, and he's, he's going to point out things for them to see in the process and in this passage, and they are going to make it through, and they're going to later learn their Heavenly Father knows best. He always knows what he's doing and where it's going, even though we can't see it. So Israel couldn't see yet where they, where they were going, but but one way to, to better see is to believe and heed what God has already told us. He's already given us guidance in his word. And so that's what chapter 13, verse 19 is highlighting. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And that had been written down in the scripture of Genesis. And Moses now is obeying what God, in his word, had said, Moses didn't need to pray about guidance for this. He needed to obey the guidance that God already put in his word. And there's a lot of times where we have guidance already in his word to obey, to see him guide us. But this is a reference to Genesis 50, where Joseph told his brothers, the sons of Israel, that that. What was intended for evil, God had actually intended for good all along. One of those great statements, Genesis 50, 20. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And then he told them, listen to these words, Don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph said, I am about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he promised. And then he made Israel swear, God will surely take care of you. And you shall carry up my bones from here. And then he was embalmed and placed in a coffin. Joseph knew that God had promised the exodus. And he wanted even his mummy to be 
a part of it. Not his mommy, Rachel. She was buried back in, in uh, Israel already. But he wants his, his coffin to be part of it. Steve, or earlier, let me read from Hebrews 11. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and he gave directions concerning his bones. So, so he knew the exodus was coming. He could see beyond this life. He could see beyond the Egyptian culture that he lived in that prized burial in Egypt. I mean, if there was ever a culture that prized doing their burials and being buried there is this special place and the way they, they did it, it was, it was Egypt. But Joseph is rejecting that religion. He's rejecting the royal tomb they would have made for him and riches. He wants to make sure he's with his people. And that guides Moses too. He's trusting God's promise and that's being fulfilled here in Exodus 13. And it takes faith, it takes trust to, to see God's guidance to undertake, as the hymn says, to guide the future as he has the past. So your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Leave to your God to order and provide. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on your side. And we sang last week, And guide me, O thou great Jehovah, let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. And that takes us to the, the second part here. Trust God's guidance and trust God's presence. He is by our side. He is going to lead us. And the way he did it here was by the fire and cloudy pillar. Look at verse 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So they're out there in the wilderness, and there's this, this huge cloud that they can all see from wherever they are, and it's moving, and they're following it. And then when he wants them to be moving at night, there, there's also this this pillar of fire that is also moving, but not just moving, that they can see it at night. It's lighting up the way so that they can see where they're going. And I want you to keep a finger here and flip ahead to Exodus 40. And just remember, God has already appeared in, in moving fire before in Genesis 15, when he promised Israel's exodus to Abraham, first time he promised the exodus. And then Remember, the animals were cut and they were spread, and God's presence actually through this fire moves through the animals, and he's making a statement to say, if I don't keep this promise, it's like this is what's going to happen to me. Let, let me be torn into pieces if I don't keep my promise. Abraham is not walking through there. God alone is walking through, and he's cutting this covenant personally and committing to, I'm going to bring you out. And even as he brings them out, it's going to be through his presence in fire again. And then remember at the burning bush, Moses comes and he sees this flame again. And it's, it's burning, but it's not consuming the bush. And he hears the promise from God, I will be with you. Now there's an even bigger pillar of fire and cloud. But this time it's 24-7. It's to, to be with them all the time and it's to show them the way. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 63, 11, when, when God led Israel at the Red Sea, he put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest, and so you led them. And so some think the fire and the cloud leading them is God the Spirit there. He's sometimes associated with, with glory, 
cloud and, and fire and other passages. Exodus 40 is when they built the tabernacle. This is the place where God's presence and guidance would be there for the priests. That's where the fire and cloud came to rest. So look at Exodus 40, verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So now the fire is going inside. It's going inside the, the holy place. But then when it's time for them to leave, that, that cloud is, is moving and it's showing them, I want you to, to move now. This is how God was directing them throughout these wanderings before they came to Jerusalem. And when they came to Jerusalem and that temple was built, there was a permanent fiery cloud in the holiest place. It was no longer moving. It was, that's where God's name was dwelling there in Old Testament times. Exodus 13 is... Before all of that, God is literally showing Israel where to go daily. Do you ever wish you could see God's presence like that? Think, wouldn't that be great if He guided us like that today? Maybe if there's a decision you have and, and He comes down in some form and shows you this is the, the one, or maybe a, maybe a, cloud over the person that you should marry, or maybe at least a small pillar of fire over a school or a job for you, we actually have something better than what they had in the New Testament. We have the Spirit-inspired Scripture that is sufficient, and Jesus promised it would actually be better after he would leave, and it would be better for him to go because he says the Spirit of truth will come and will guide you into all truth. He dwells with you. So now, up until that point, he's been dwelling with you, and he will be in you. He's actually going to be in you. He says the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is God's spirit and in his looking ahead to Pentecost. That's from um, John 14 and 16 in, in the upper room. And think about this. In the Old Testament, the spirit rested over them in one place at one time, one big fire. But in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, what do you see? You see the spirit comes down and now this flame divides and there's these individual little flames of fire that come and they rest above each of the believers. And then the, the Holy Spirit then goes not just with them, but in them, like Jesus had promised, within them to guide. And so Paul will say in 2 Corinthians, or actually I think it's 1 Corinthians 3.16 to the church, you are God's temple, God's spirit dwells in you, you are that temple. We don't have to go to a temple now. The, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are God's temple. And then 1 Peter 4.14 4, says this, You are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Do you realize how blessed you are? That none of those faithful Old Testament believers got to have what you have. The Holy Spirit of glory and God rests upon every believer. There's blessings all ours and 10,000 beside. This is his own dear presence to cheer and to guide. We need to trust 
the Spirit's guidance and presence. He's the comforter. He comes alongside to help. And if He convicts you, you need to respond to His leading. When the Spirit is convicting you, you need to respond to that leading. We're called as Christians to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And to help us do that, the Spirit has inspired Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God through His Spirit. In the Old Testament, Israel had a pillar of fire to light up their path. But God's Spirit illuminates His Word as a, as a lamp to our feet and as a light to our path. And, and 2 Peter 1.19 says we need, to, we need to pay attention to the Word like a lamp shining in a dark place. Peter says you actually have the Word more certain. We have a, a more certain Word than Israel had through God's Word. But we need to pay attention to it like it's a light, a lamp on the, this dark world and in our darkness. And I love that promise in Hebrews 13, 5 of his presence. The Lord says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Therefore, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. That's how we can fear not. And that can give us confidence. And, and Israel had confidence in Exodus 14, verse 8. They were going out confidently. But in verse 9, Pharaoh sent in the cavalry, and Israel feared greatly. They've got the military marching in. Israel is surrounded by chariots, the the choicest of chariots. There's officers over all of them. They're elite forces as well as all the other forces, but there's there's this show of force, and and Pharaoh himself, like a presidential motorcade, is coming in. He's, He's in his own chariot. And here's what we read in chapter 14, verse 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? This is their fear coming out. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm. Fear not, The second part is stand firm or or stand by, stand still. And the New Testament picks up on that language, stand firm in the Lord. And so we've got fear not, but we need to also look at the second statement for our second point, stand firm in God. Stand firm in God. Israel was encamped in front of the sea. There was nowhere to go. And if you don't know the geography of the area, in fact, the Bible atlases aren't agreed exactly where this was, but What's clear is they're in front of the sea and there's nowhere for them to go. They, they can't run and they would rather return. At the end of verse 10, they cry out to the Lord. But then in verse 11, they lash out at the Lord's servant. And boy, that can happen so quickly. Even as believers, we've seen all the things that God has done, His faithfulness in the past, but things don't go the way we like. And you can talk like you don't like those who love you and are trying to help. Or maybe you feel under attack and you verbally attack your loved ones. You verbally attack your, your leaders. You, you verbally attack those who love you. You shoot the messenger with words 
you blame, you can accuse. When that pressure comes on, you grumble and vent. All you can see is the irritant and not your irritable, sinful heart. And, and maybe you don't do it to your brother or sister's face, or maybe you don't do it to a church leader's face, but you tell others your complaints. And maybe even you've brought it to the attention of the appropriate person and sought to talk to them, but then you've got to tell others. Or, or maybe you use vague terms, you know, our church doesn't, or, or these people, or these, this ministry, these leaders, these, these elders, maybe you think better back in the old days or would be under better leaderships. A lot of us may not say verse 12 out loud, leave us alone, but we can say that in, in many ways. Or some people will just leave and not say anything, and, and that's sin too. It's easy to take out frustrations of other things in life on a spouse, or parents, children, other believers. And notice what they say, what have you done to me? It's about, it's about me or to us. Didn't I tell you to leave me alone, they're saying. It's another way to say, I told you so. Maybe for you, you see difficulty again. You see difficulty again, and you think there's no hope. You can become apathetic or just pessimistic, and that spills out in the way you speak to others. Israel is getting shaken up here, and their hearts are spilling out here with scalding sarcasm. I mean, did you notice it? Are you taking us to die out here because of a grave shortage back there? Did Egypt, the land of the tombs, suddenly run out of tombs? I mean, it's, 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 it's almost funny, but it's ridiculous ridicule like we can do. Some of you are gifted at sarcasm. That's not a spiritual gift. And it can hurt others. And... So we need to realize we're not that different from Israel. We actually, we know the story. We know how this is going to end. So we wonder, how could they be like this? Don't they know? Haven't they seen, you know, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston or the, the, the other one, the cartoon one? But no, they hadn't seen that. They didn't know what's going to happen. But we can, I think, in far less challenging situations, things get hard. And we can think it's better to serve the flesh. It's better just to go back. Even go back to what enslaves, even things like videos or even games to escape, things that, that may not be sinful in moderation but can enslave us. Or maybe you just retreat from difficulty and you go into your private small world or your small screen or you just retreat to other things you were more comfortable with. Not, you don't like what's going on in your life or your family and you take it out on your family. Brother, sister, don't give in to sin. Don't give up hope. Don't retreat. God's word says we need to stand firm. Don't leave. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Stand firm in the faith. And, and then it says, Let everything you do be done in love. Don't leave. Love. Stand firm. Love one another. Israel wants to turn back to slavery. We can see approaching evil. We see the evil in our world, and, and maybe we can want to turn to legalism, think that's the answer. 
We just have enough rules. That will protect us from this world. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. When we give in to extra-biblical power sources like that, we're actually submitting again to a type of slavery. It's been said in trials, we either look back or, or we, we just choose to go right back to our old ways of coping. Anger, maybe for you. Addiction. Depression. Or just distraction, just constant distraction. The way we used to live, we can go back to the same old sinful attitudes, attitudes, the same old nasty habits. We need to help ourselves in this when we see it in ourselves and with others. Reach out for help and, and seek to help others when we're tempted to run away or just to cry out in fear or just to try to f- fix things on our own and not look to the Lord. God is calling his people to stand to stand their ground. You might say, what does that look like to stand firm in God? Let me give you some examples. Well, it's standing together in the gospel. Philippians 1, 27, stand firm, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. He's telling them to stand together like soldiers, like a, like a regiment is this language of stand. When you stand together as soldiers, if you can stay together, you can you can hold your ground. If you start running off sideways, you're, you're going to be picked off by the enemy. Stand firm and contend together for the faith of the gospel. We need to also remember this is not a flesh and blood struggle. Whatever struggle has been coming to your mind when I'm talking about struggles is not ultimately or even primarily about another person. What does Paul say in Ephesians 6? There's a spiritual warfare. He says, Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces. He says that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And then he says, stand firm, therefore. You've got to have the, the belt of truth. You've got to have the shield of faith, the breastplate of, of righteousness. You've got to have your shoes grounded in the good news of the gospel, the helmet of salvation, remembering your salvation. You've got to have all of that. If, if you want to study how do we stand in this world and the onslaught that's around us, Ephesians 6 is one of the best places to study that, to apply how do we put on the gospel armor, each piece putting on with prayer so that we can stand firm. And it's also remembering God's sovereignty. Isaiah 46, verse 8, Stand firm. Recall this to mind. I am God, and there is no other. I am the Lord, declaring the end from the beginning. And he says, I will accomplish all my good pleasure. My purpose will stand. This is what God says to the world. The way you stand firm is you need to recall to mind, you need to remember that there is no other God, that he is almighty in all things. He is always working. He's always accomplishing his purpose. There's no purpose of his that can be thwarted. He knows the end from the beginning because he's declared it and he's decreed it and his sovereign will will stand. He will accomplish all his purpose. 
for his people. So fear not. Stand firm. And then thirdly and finally, look to your salvation. Verse 13, chapter 14. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you. Today would be the day of salvation. They're going to see it. They're not going to see their enemies anymore after this day. We're going to see the Red Sea open up next week. Not, not literally, we'll see it in the text and the story. But we need to see this is not just a past historical event. This actually becomes God's pattern for salvation. Just one example, 2 Corinthians 20. There's a great multitude beyond the sea, and they're coming against Israel. They're surrounded. They're fearing. They, they, they want to flee. They think they're going to die. There's this massive army, and, and those were founded fears. I mean, there's no human explanation as to how they're going to get out of this situation. Here's what King Jehoshaphat prays, speaking for the people. We are powerless before this vast number that comes to fight against us. We do not know what to do. But we look to you. I love that. We don't know. We're powerless. We don't know what to do. But we're going to look to you. And it says all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Imagine standing there. This army's coming. You've got your baby in your hands. You're standing there with your kids, with your family. But then God's spirit and God's spokesman tell the people this. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged because of this vast number. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He is with you. Do not be afraid for Yahweh is with you. It's the the same statement here. Stand still, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. He's going to do this. Don't be afraid. He's with you. Don't be discouraged. Fear not, trust his presence, stand firm, and look to his salvation. Here's where Israel is. They're, they're, they're looking around, and it's not looking good. They're trapped by the sea. They're, they're thinking they're going to be dead that day. I mean, for us, this isn't a situation we face or haven't faced exactly like this. It's not that bad for us, but some of you have faced or are facing death of a loved one, and that's a serious and, and sobering and suffering time, and we need to help each other in those times, but maybe you just, you're in a situation where you just don't see a way out. It's, it's a dead end in your relationship or employment. Maybe you feel trapped by circumstances or sin. Have you ever felt powerless like that? We're, we're powerless. I'm powerless. I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't have the strength. I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know what to do. What do we do? We need to say, but I'm going to keep looking to you. I'm going to keep looking to you. We can be hopeless over far less. I can fear the future as I think about the way this world is going, thinking about my kids. Uh, there's a lot to be discouraged about in our lives, even in here so we may not see advancing Egyptians, but, but we can see advancing evil, can't we? I mean, it seems like there's more and more militant evil coming against the things that we hold dear. That There's culture wars all 
around us. And we can't escape the world. You know, you can homeschool, you can do your work from home set up and avoid certain things to a certain degree, but let's remember if we're only holding up and huddling up with other believers or with your family or with your church family, the Bible also calls us to not hide our light, but to let our light shine to a world that needs it and needs it more and more. And the darker it gets, the more we need to pray about how we can wisely let our light shine to speak up, to stand up for Jesus, to help our kids to stand. And we need to help each other as the church in this more. Come alongside each other, strengthen each other, and help others to see the salvation of the Lord. Help a brother or sister when they've lost perspective to help them to see and to look to the Lord. Look to the salvation of the Lord Jesus that he worked for Israel and us. You know what Jude says in Jude 5? Jesus saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroying those who didn't believe. It was Jesus who saved the people out of Egypt and, and would later destroy those who didn't believe. Maybe you're thinking, I, I don't see the name Jesus here in the text. Well, that's an English name. It's Yeshua in Hebrew is how they would say it. But in verse 13, Moses says in the Hebrew, see the Yeshua of Yahweh. He will work for you today. This is a, a noun, but it's, it's, it became a name later that was given to Jesus because he would bring salvation for his people. That's what the angel told Mary to call him, Yeshua, because he's going to bring salvation to his people. Isaiah 52.10 says this, same phrase, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation or shall see the Yeshua. And then right after that, that's Isaiah 52.10, Isaiah 53 talks all about Jesus, how he would come, he would be rejected, he would be pierced for our transgressions, he would die as a substitute, he would rise, all those different things about Jesus in Isaiah 53. And last week, I read from Simeon in the temple, he takes that baby in his hands, that baby that they would have called Yeshua in their language, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. He, so much of what Simeon says is echoing the Old Testament. There's these statements in the, in the Old Testament to see the salvation of the Lord, and he takes up this baby named Yeshua, or Jesus is how we say it in our language, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. I've seen the salvation like the Scriptures told us to. Have your eyes seen salvation of the Lord Jesus? We're going to sing about turning our eyes upon Jesus. And, and I think there's a, a great statement here when Moses says, look to your Yeshua, your salvation. He will work for you today. We need to see that salvation is not a human work at all. There's nothing we can do to work for ourselves for this salvation. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. Not even a small fraction of it. You need to see that salvation is the Lord working for you. It's his work on the cross dying and then rising, and, and even his, his work for us now in heaven at the right hand, that is how we can be saved. It's, if you think it's by doing good works or trying to be a good person, you are still lost in your sin. You do not yet have this hope, but today can be the day of salvation for you. If you will see 
If you will see for the, for the first time the, your sin and, and see the salvation of the Lord Jesus as your only hope and comfort in life and death. If you'll repent and turn from your sin and, and follow Jesus, no turning back, then you can fear not. You can stand firm. You can see your salvation. It's all of grace and it's all for his glory. That's why God said in the end of verse 4, he's doing this for his glory in defeating Egypt. And it's the same when he defeats evil and he saves us for his glory. Think of Jesus, how his enemies were always trying to trap him. They finally, in Gethsemane, had him surrounded. He actually did end up dead, truly, but he didn't stay dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death as the last enemy. So we heard earlier from Hebrews 11 about these Exodus events, and it goes through all this history, and then it says, we need to keep looking to who? Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It says we need to consider him so that we do not become weary or lose heart. If you're weary, if you're tempted to lose heart or lose hope, you need to keep looking to Jesus and, and surround yourself with other, other witnesses. But as you pursue him, know that he is, is there in heaven. It's like we're in this race and it's like he's ultimately cheering us on. We've got to look to him, pursue him. If we keep looking at the world... There's not a lot of hope there at all, is there? But if we keep fixing our eyes on Jesus, turning our eyes upon Jesus, I've experienced this, and I know some of you have. The things of this world actually do become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So fear not. Stand firm and look to your Savior, Jesus. Let me pray. Our great and gracious God, we thank you, we praise you for these truths so many years ago but are so applicable to us. Help us to not fear, help us to stand strong, and help us to keep looking to Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.